0: Chapter Nineteen of Black Ivory by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen tells of misfortunes that befell our wanderers, of familiar toys under new aspects, etc., etc. When Harold Seadrift and Disco Lillahammer were stopped in their journey, as related in a former chapter, by the sudden illness of the bold seaman an event was impending over them which effectually overturned their plans. This was the sudden descent of a band of armed natives who had been recently driven from their homes by a slaving party. The slavers had taken them by surprise during the night, set their huts on fire, captured their women and children, and slaughtered all the men excepting those who sought and found safety in flight. It was those who had thus escaped that chanced to come upon the camp of our travelers one evening about sunset. Disco was recovering from his attack of fever at the time, though still weak. Harold was sitting by his couch of leaves in the hut which had been erected for him on the first day of the illness. Jumbo was cutting up a piece of flesh for supper, and Antonio was putting the kettle on the fire. The rest of the party were away in the woods hunting. No guard was kept. Consequently the savages came down on them like a thunderbolt, and found them quite unprepared to resist even if resistance had been of any use. At first their captors, bitterly infuriated by their recent losses, proposed to kill their prisoners, without delay, by means of the most excruciating tortures that they could invent, but for some unknown cause changed their minds, coupled Harold and Disco together by means of two slave sticks, tied Antonio and Jumbo with ropes, and drove them away, so suddenly was the thing done, and so effectually, that Disco was far from the camp before he could realize that what had occurred was a fact, and not one of the wild feverish dreams that had beset him during his illness. The natives would not listen to the earnest explanation of Antonio that Harold and Disco were Englishmen and haters of slavery. They scowled as they replied that the same had been said by the slavers who had attacked their village from which remark it would seem that Yusuf was not quite the originator of that device to throw the natives off their guard. The Portuguese of Tete on the Zambezi had also thought of and acted on it. Fortunately it was, as we have said, near sunset when the capture was made, and before it became quite dark the band encamped, else must poor Disco have succumbed to weakness and fatigue. The very desperation of his circumstances, however, seemed to revive his strength, for next morning he resumed his journey with some hope of being able to hold out. The continued protestations and assurances of Antonio also had the effect of inducing their captors to remove the heavy slave sticks from the necks of Harold and disco, though they did not unbind their wrists. Thus were they led further into the country they knew not whither for several days and nights, and at last reached a large village where they were all thrust into a hut and left to their meditations while their captors went to palaver with the chief man of the place. This chief proved to be a further sighted man than the men of the tribe who had captured the Englishman. His name was Yambo. He had heard of Dr. Livingston and had met with men of other tribes who had seen and conversed with the great traveller. Thus, being of a thoughtful and inquiring disposition, he had come to understand enough of the good white man's sentiments to guard him from being imposed on by pretended Christians. Yambo's name signified, how are you, and was probably bestowed on him because of a strongly benevolent tendency to greet friend and stranger alike with a hearty how-de-do do? sort of expression of face and tone of voice. He was a tall grave man with a commanding firm look and withal a dash of childlike humor and simplicity. On hearing his visitors' remarks about their captives he at once paid them a visit and a few leading questions put to Harold through Antonio convinced him that the prisoners were true men. He therefore returned to his black visitors, told them that he had perfect confidence in the good faith of the white men, and said that he meant to take charge of them. He then entertained his black brothers hospitably, gave them a few presents, and sent them on their way. This done, he returned to his guests and told them that they were free, that their captors were gone, and that they might go where they pleased, but that it would gratify him much if they would consent to spend some time hunting with him in the neighborhood of his village. Now, said Disco, after Yambo left them, this is what I call the most uncommon fix that ever was got into by a man since Adam and Eve began housekeeping in the Garden of Eden. I'm not quite sure, replied Harold with a rueful look, that it is absolutely the worst fix, but it is bad enough. The worst of it is that this Yambo has let these rascals off with all our firearms and camp equipage, so that we are absolutely helpless, might as well be prisoners, for we can't quit this village in such circumstances. What's was then that to my mind, sir, is that "'Here we are at sea, in the heart of Afriki, without chart, quadrant, compass, or rudder, "'and no more idea of our whereabouts than one of them spider-monkeys that grins among the trees. "'How's ever we're in luck to fall into the hands of a friendly chief, "'so like these same monkeys we must grin and bear it, "'only I can't help feeling a bit downcast at the loss of our messmates. "'I fear there's no chance of their findin' us.' not the least chance in the world i should say returned harold they could not guess in which direction we had gone and unless they had hit on the right road at first every step they took afterwards would only widen the distance between us it's lucky i was beginning to mend before we was catched said disco feeling the muscles of his legs true i ain't much to boast of yet but i'm unproven that is more than i can say for myself returned harold with a sigh "'as he passed his hand across his forehead. "'I feel as if this last push through the woods in the hot sun "'and the weight of that terrible slave-stick had been almost too much for me.' "'Disco looked earnestly and anxiously into the face of his friend. "'What, he. does you feel?' "'I can scarcely tell,' replied Harold with a faint smile. "'Oh, I suppose I'm a little knocked up, that's all. "'A night's rest will put me all right.' "'So I thought myself, but I was wrong,' said Disco.' "'Let's hear what your feelin's is, sir. I'm as good as any doctor now I am in regard to symptoms.' "'Well, I feel a sort of all-overishness, a kind of lassitude and sleepiness, with a slight headache and a dull pain which appears to be creeping up my spine.' "'You're in for it, sir,' said Disco. "'It's lucky you have always carried the physic in your pockets, cause you'll need it, and it's lucky, too, that I am here and well enough to return tit-for-tat and nurse you.' "'cause you'll have that ear pain in your spine creep up your back "'and around your ribs till it lays hold of your shoulders "'where it'll stick as if it had made up its mind "'to stay there for ever and a day. arter that you'll get cold and shivering like ice, "'oh, doesn't I know it well, "'and then hot as fire with heavy head, "'and swimmin' eyes and twisted sight and confusion of "'Hold, hold!' cried Harold, laughing. "'If you go on in that way I shall have more than my fair share of it.' pray stop and leave me a little to find out for myself. Well, sir, take a purge and turn in at once, that's my advice. I'll does you with quinine to-morrow morning first thing,' said Disco, rising and proceeding forthwith to arrange a couch in a corner of the hut which Yambo had assigned them." Harold knew well enough that his follower was right. He took his advice without delay, and next morning found himself little better than a child, both physically and mentally, for the disease not only prostrated his great strength, as it had that of his equally robust companion, but at a certain stage induced delirium, during which he talked the most ineffable nonsense that his tongue could pronounce or his brain conceive. Poor Disco, who, of course, had been unable to appreciate the extent of his own delirious condition, began to fear that his leader's mind was gone for and jumbo was so depressed by the unutterably solemn expression of the mariner's once jovial countenance that he did not once show his teeth for a whole week save when engaged with meals as for antonio his nature not being very sympathetic and his health being good he rather enjoyed the quiet life and good living which characterized the native village and secretly hoped that harold might remain on the sick list for a considerable time to come How long this state of affairs lasted we cannot tell, for both Harold and Disco lost the correct record of time during their respective illnesses. Up to that period they had remembered the days of the week in consequence of their habit of refraining from going out to hunt on Sundays, except when a dearth of meat in the larder rendered hunting a necessity. Upon these Sundays Harold's conscience sometimes reproached him for having set out on his journey into Africa without a Bible. He whispered, to himself at first, and afterwards suggested to Disco the excuse that his Bible had been lost in the wreck of his father's vessel, and that perhaps there were no Bibles to be purchased in Zanzibar, but his conscience was a troublesome one, and refused to tolerate such bad reasoning, reminding him reproachfully that he had made no effort whatever to obtain a Bible at Zanzibar. As time had passed and some of the horrors of the slave trade had been brought under his notice, many of the words of scripture leaped to his remembrance and the regret that he had not carried a copy with him increased that touch of thoughtlessness so natural to the young and healthy to whom life has so far been only a garden of roses was utterly routed by the stern and dreadful realities which had been recently enacted around him and just in proportion as he was impressed with the lies tyranny cruelty and falsehood of man so did his thoughtful regard for the truth and the love of god increase especially those truths that were most directly opposed to the traffic in human flesh such as love your enemies seek peace with all men be kindly affectioned one to another whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you do ye even so to them an absolute infidel he thought could not fail to perceive that a most blessed change would come over the face of Africa if such principles prevailed among its inhabitants, even in an extremely moderate degree. But to return, the unfortunate travellers were now at sea altogether in regard to the Sabbath as well as the day of the month. Indeed, their minds were not very clear as to the month itself. "'How's ever,' said Disco when this subject afterwards came to be discussed, it don't matter much. What is it that the Scripture says? Six days shall thou labor, and do all that thou hast to do, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work. I was used always to stick at that pint when my poor mother was a teachin' of me, never got past it, but it's enough for present use anyhow, for the orders is work six days and don't work the seventh. Very good. We'll begin today and call it Monday." we'll work for six days and when the seventh day comes we'll call it sunday if it ain't the right day we can't help it moreover what's the odds it's the seventh day so that to us it'll be the sabbath but we anticipate harold was still at the beginning of this digression in the delirium of fever though there were symptoms of improvement about him one afternoon one of these symptoms was strongly manifested in a long profound slumber while he slept disco sat on a low stool beside him busily engaged with a clasp knife on some species of manufacturer the nature of which was not apparent at a glance his admirer jumbo was seated on a stool opposite gazing at him open-mouthed with a countenance that reflected every passing feeling of his dusky bosom both men were so deeply absorbed in their occupation disco in his manufacture and Jumbo in staring at Disco, that they failed for a considerable time to observe that Harold had wakened suddenly, though quietly, and was gazing at them with a look of lazy, easy-going surprise. The mariner kept up a running commentary on his work, addressed to Jumbo indeed, but in a quiet interjectional manner that seemed to imply that he was merely soliloquizing, and did not want or expect a reply." It's the most extraordinary notion, Jumbo, between you and me and the post that I ever did see. Now then, this here bullet head wants a pair of eyes and a nose on it. The mouth'll do, but it's the mouth as is most troublesome, for you niggers have got such weapon muzzles. It's quite a caution, as the Yankees say. A pause. On the whole, however, the nose is very difficult to manage on a flat surface, cause why? If I leaves it quite flat, it don't look like a nose and if i carves it out ever so little it's too prominent for a nigger nose there ain't that a good head jumbo thus directly appealed to jumbo nodded his own head violently and showed his magnificent teeth from ear to ear gums included disco laid down the flat piece of board which he had carved into the form of a human head and took up another piece which was rudely blocked out into the form of a human leg both leg and head being as large as life. Now, this limb, Jumbo, continued Disco slowly, as he whittled away with the clasp-knife vigorously, is much more troublesome than I would have expected, for you niggers have got such an abdominally ill-shaped legs below the knee. There's no such unnatural bend forward of the shinbone and such a ridiculous sticking out of the heel astarn d'ye see that a feller with white man notions has to make a study of it if he sets up for an artist in course if he don't set up for an artist any sort of shape'll do for it don't affect the jumpin ha there they go he exclaimed with a humorous smile at the hearty shout of laughter which was heard just outside the hut enjoyin the old un but it's nothin to what the new un'll be when's finished at this exhibition of amusement on the countenance of his friend jumbo threw back his head and again showed not only his teeth and gums but the entire inside of his mouth, and chuckled softly from the region of his breastbone. "'I'm dreaming, of course,' thought Harold, and shut his eyes. Poor fellow, he was very weak, and the mere act of shutting his eyes induced a half-slumber. He awoke again in a few minutes, and, reopening his eyes, beheld the two men still sitting and occupied as before. "'It is a wonderfully pertinacious dream,' thought Harold. "'I'll try to dissipate it.' Thinking thus he called out aloud, "'I say, Disco!' "'Hello, that's uncommon like the old tones,' exclaimed the seaman, dropping his knife and the leg of wood as he looked anxiously at his friend. "'What old tones?' asked Harold. "'The tones of your voice,' said Disco. "'Have they changed so much of late?' inquired Harold in surprise. "'Have they? I should think they have, just.' why you haven't spoke like that sir for but surely are you better and is this only another dodge or your madness asked disco with a troubled look Ah, i suppose i've been delirious have i said harold with a faint smile to this disco replied that he had not only been delirious but stark staring mad and expressed a very earnest hope that now he had got his senses hauled taut again he'd belay them and make all fast for if he didn't it was his, Disco's, opinion, that another breeze of the same kind would blow em all to ribbons. "'Moreover,' continued Disco firmly, "'you're not to talk. I once nursed a messmate through a fever, and I remember that the doctor was very particular when he began to come round in orderin' him to hold his tongue and keep quiet. "'You are right, Disco. I will keep quiet, but you must first tell me what you are about.' for it has aroused my curiosity and I can't rest till I know. Well, sir, I'll tell you, but don't go for to make no observations on it. Just keep your mouth shut and your ears open, and I'll do all the jawin. Well, you must know, soon after you was took bad, I felt as if I'd like some sort of occupation when sittin' here watchin' o' you. Jumbo and me's been takin' the watch time about, FOR ANTONY ISN'T ABLE TO HOLD A BOY, MUCH LESS YOU, WHEN YOU GETS obstropolis. WELL, SIR, I HAD TOOK A SORT OF FANCY FOR Yambo's YOUNGEST BOY, FOR HE'S A FINE, BRAVE LITTLE SHAVER HE IS, AND I THOUGHT I'D MAKE HIM SOME SORT OF TOY, AND IT STRUCK ME THAT THE THING AS IT PLEASED HIM MOST WOULD BE A JUMPIN' JACK, SO I SET TO AND MADE HIM ONE ABOUT A FOOT HIGH. YOU NEVER SEEN SUCH A FACE OF JOY AS THAT YOUNGSTER PUT ON, SIR when I took it to him and pulled the string. He gave a little squeak of delight he did, tuck it in his hands, and ran home to show it to his mother. Well, sir, what do you think the poor boy came back soon after blubbering and sobbing as natural as if he'd been an English boy, and he says to Tony, says he, Father's been and took it away from me. I was surprised at this, and went right off to see about it, and when I come to Yombo's hut what does I see but the chief pullin the string of the jumpin jack and grinnin and sniggerin like a blue-faced baboon in a passion, his wife likewise standin by holdin her sides with laughin. Well, sir, the moment I goes in, up gets the chief and shouts for Tony and tells him to tell me that I must make him a jumpin jack. In course, I says I'd do it with all the pleasure in life, and he says that I must make it full size, as big as hisself. I opened my eyes at this, but he said he must have a thing that was fit for a man, a chief, so there was nothing for it but to set to work. And it weren't difficult to manage neither, for they supplied me with slabs of timber an inch thick, and I soon blocked out the body and limbs with a hatchet and polished them off with my knife and then put them together. When the big jack was all right, Yambo took it away, for he'd watched me all the time I was at it, and fixed it up to the branch of a tree and set to work i never no i never did continued disco slapping his right thigh while jumbo grinned in sympathy see such a big baby as jumbo became when he got that monstrous jumpin jack into action with his courtiers all around him their faces blazing with surprise and convulsed with laughter the chief himself was too hard at work to laugh much he could only glare and grin for big and strong though he is the jack was so awful heavy that it took all his weight and muscle hauling on the rope which occupied the place of the string that we're used to. Haul away, my hearty,' thought I, when I seed him heaving, blowin', and sweatin' at the jack's halyards. You'll not break that rope in a hurry.' But I was wrong, sir, for although the halyards held on all right, I had not calculated on such wild an action at the joints. All of a sudden off comes a leg at the knee. It was goin' the upward kick at the time, and went up like a rocket, slapped through a troop of monkeys that was a lookin' on a loft, which had scattered like foam in a gale. Yambo didn't seem to care a pinch of snuff. His blood was up. The sweat was runnin' off him like rain. Hi, cries he, givin' another most awful tug. But it wasn't high that time, for the other leg came off at the hip joint on the down kick and went straight into the bosom of a black warrior and floored him worse than he ever was floored since he took to fightin yambo didn't care for that either he gave another haul with all his might which proved too much for jack without his legs for it threw his arms out with such force that they jammed hard and fast as if the poor critter was howlin for mercy yambo looked awful blank at this then he turned sharp round and looked at me for all the world as if he meant to say "'What do you mean by that, eh?' "'He sure not a lick into him like that,' says I to Tony. "'The figure ain't made to be drove by a six-horsepower steam engine. "'But tell him I'll fix it up with gins that'll stand pulling by an elephant, "'and I'll make him another jack to the full as big as that one and twice as strong.' "'This,' added Disco in conclusion, "'taking up the head on which he had been engaged, "'is the new jack. "'The Olens outside working away at this moment like a windmill.' listen don't he hear em harold listened and found no difficulty in hearing them for peals of laughter and shrieks of delight burst forth every few minutes apparently from a vast crowd outside the hut i do believe said disco rising and going towards the door of the hut that you can see em for where you lay he drew aside the skin doorway as he spoke and there sure enough was the gigantic jumping jack hanging from the limb of a tree clearly defined against the sky and galvanically kicking about its vast limbs with yambo pulling fiercely at the tail and the entire tribe looking on steeped in ecstasy and admiration it may easily be believed that the sight of this coupled with disco's narrative was almost too much for harold's nerves and for some time he exhibited to disco's horror a tendency to repeat some antics which would have been much more appropriate to the jumping-jack but after a warm drink administered by his faithful though rough nurse he became composed and finally dropped into a pleasant sleep which was not broken till late the following morning. Refreshed in body, happy in mind, and thankful in spirit he rose to feel that the illness against which he had fought for many days was conquered, and that although still very weak he had fairly turned the corner and had begun to regain some of his wonted Health and vigor. End of Chapter 19. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks. Com.